I had the opportunity recently to sit down with Paul McDonald, who is the Chief Investment Officer and a Portfolio Manager at Harvest ETFs. You might recognize Paul from his appearances on BNM Bloomberg. Now, the CIO, the Chief Investment Officer, they are the quarterbacks of an investment team. They establish the direction, they establish the philosophy, they establish the investment strategies that a, a, a team of portfolio managers will put together. At the end of the day, they are accountable to the team. They are accountable to the firm. And if they fail, the company doesn't do so well. And if they succeed, the company will benefit as being part of that overall strategy. In part one of this interview, we covered off a whole variety of topics. And if you missed that video, and if you'd wanna watch that before you watch this video, I will put a link in the description here. In this video, we are going to continue the conversation that we started last time with Paul. I assure you, you will come out of this a more informed investor. So let's take a look now at part two of this video with Paul. Paul McDonald of Harvest ETFs. This video is sponsored by Harvest ETFs. For more information, please check out the link in the description below. Um, I want to shift a little bit uh, out of North America or just look at a more global scope and just sort of to, to sort of set the premise of what I'm talking about here or what I'm going to talk about. Uh, the world, the investment world has shrunk so much, even, you know, in the time I've been an investor and uh, everything seems to be so closely intertwined now. And of course, we're seeing that. And I'm just going to say uh, sort of generically geopolitical events. The big thing going on right now um, is, um, you know, the, the conflict over in Ukraine, obviously. Um, just your quick thoughts, Paul, on, on the effect that that's having um, globally on the equity markets, but specifically maybe on some of the funds that you that you manage. And a question I would have is when you look at geopolitical events, you have investments all over the world. Do you focus as you're doing your due diligence and your, your analyze, analyze your analytics, I guess you'd say, <laughs> do you focus specifically on those regions or do you take a more broad uh, global view uh, when, when you're laying out your strategies? So we typically focus into companies that have global operations, mm -hmm. uh, but are listed on developed markets, predominantly in North America, but we do have some European, uh, European mm -hmm. exposure and, uh, and then through Australia. Uh, you're absolutely right. Russia, Ukraine has, um, the invasion has been a, a shift in, uh, in some of the geopolitics around the world. And of course, that's one of the issues on a, on a global basis that we're watching. I would think that um, underneath the surface, the China-US uh, geopolitics that is really being fought in the technological arena uh, changes kind of our perspective on where we may see leadership in the in the equity markets out over the next three to five years. Uh, and also when we think about other areas that I think are, are worth keeping an eye on um, would be in particular uh, emerging market, emerging market debt in US dollars during a strengthening US dollar. They must be watching that for any signs of, of stress or fractures given um, it becomes more expensive for emerging markets to repay their debt. That has to be something systematically that that uh, that we as investors, but also the Fed is watching. But I also think on the, on the other side, uh, recently, when we saw some um, liquidity interjection in the UK market uh, and concerns around some of the uh, pension fund liquidity, and I don't think that the Fed necessarily uh, has seen any of those types of uh, issues in the US market, which would be dominant for them. But I do think um, only as recently as a week ago, that the Treasury uh, Department was was in discussions with the U.S. banks 
to ask, should we be looking at liquidity in some of the off-the-run treasuries? And so to me, I think when we when we talk about inflation, interest rates, and the Fed, the Fed being very hawkish, meaning, you know, we're raising rates, we're raising rates. Everybody's fed up with that. And it's becoming a little bit of a blur in the background, if you will, almost a, almost like a little bit of noise. And now we're looking for, are there any signs that that really aggressive hawkish language and behavior, any signs that that's subsiding? We haven't seen it yet with the Fed, but we're seeing it in other areas like okay. Treasury talking about liquidity. And th- that has to filter through. So I would think given how poor sentiment is, where valuations are, um, and how just how aggressive the Fed's language is, any softening of that could be the moment of reprieve that, that we're all looking for in the markets. And we certainly are looking for uh, for some of that, just that hope, right, that we could be yeah, seeing right. a, a turn there. Um, entirely different topic, but are you, you know, when you mentioned the conflict in Ukraine, and I think most people um, up until it was imminent didn't really anticipate that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to just talk for a moment about black swan events. I'm not necessarily saying this is, but I think of COVID. And, and uh, when it hit in March of 2020, it kind of caught everybody off guard. By definition, these are things that we can't really anticipate. But is there anything you feel that an investor... Uh, could do or should be doing to prepare for those events? Are those just things that just happen? And, uh, you know, or even in your portfolios, do you guys even factor those in as you're, as you're constructing your, your investments? Great question. And so when I, I gave a presentation, an institutional um, presentation about a week and a half ago, and we, we outlined our, our backdrop, not dissimilar to what we've just talked about, that, you know, we've got some positives, some green shoots, uh, early green shoots that we're looking for. Uh, and that's what we know. These are things that everybody is looking at. What we don't know are some of these exogenous risks. Um, and I highlight, highlight some of them. We talked about them, China, uh, U.S. tensions, um, of course, in the Mideast. And then you've got uh, the cold winter, as they're terming it, for Europe. What sort of contagion risks might come from that recession? Right. Uh, and so... We do not factor that in, other than we have to be cognizant that what we used to have as a black swan event and not as a variable is now actually has a probability of something really stupid happening um, that actually numerically you can put a probability. So we have to consider it. how that impacts us at Harvest and what we do. Um, it, it's in line with my comment on that structural shift in volatility. And we, again, we can measure and quantify this and actually put financial numbers associated with that. Um, in a simple term, when people hear volatility, they get get a little bit scared. In a lot of our strategies, we have what we call covered call. And again, just big picture, it allows us to to sell call options in order to generate cash flow and hence we're able to pay higher yields. The the real term of what we're actually doing is we're selling volatility. And so when volatility goes up, what we're selling is now worth more. Mm -hmm. And so in our strategies, um, particularly on the covered calls, this is an environment where we want to be very active in our, our covered calls, but also really understand where that volatility is coming from and why we're getting paid the various premiums. And 
effectively systematically across our portfolios is significantly higher than it was not just only a few months ago, but over the past two years, meaningfully higher and at the very upper end of those bands in the current environment. So even though um, we expect it to be structurally higher than pre-pandemic, right now volatility uh, and what we get paid for as we sell call options is is very attractive. And so that's really how in this environment we want to own good quality businesses and participate in the upside uh, over time. But we use a covered call strategy on a portion of that. And so it allows us to generate a little bit more cash flow. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and for those viewers who missed it, uh, a video I did uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago, which talked about some of the harvest funds and some of the strategies. Uh, there was a segment on the covered call aspect of what you do and the limits on it and everything. I would encourage you to uh, go have a look at that once you've uh, finished this video here. But that actually kind of segues, Paul, into where I wanted to go next. And if I look at your lineup of funds, so harvest invests, like I say, different sectors, different mandates, different geographical areas. But I'm also assuming that there's sort of an overriding corporate philosophy that comes from an investment perspective. And as, as the chief investment officer, I guess that's sort of your bailiwick. So maybe just if you don't mind sharing that with, with us. Absolutely. The, the overriding investment philosophy is we want to be invested in good quality businesses that we believe over the long term have a positive structurally positive uh, outlooks. And in the interim, as we participate in that growth over the medium term, we want to use our, our equity income strategies to generate attractive cash flows uh, mm-hmm. in addition to having the, uh, the underlying good quality businesses that we're invested in. Well, you, you may have already touched on this, but I'm just thinking here, I think I started by saying the headwinds that we've we felt so far in 2022. In an environment like this, when you take that overarching strategy, are there any material changes that you would make to the portfolios or to any of the portfolios? Are you kind of just, uh, you know, stay within a pretty tight, you know, boundaries there um, as you're managing the, the, the investments in the portfolios? Uh, great question, and absolutely, there are changes. Um, and okay. you know, when I when I add on to that, you know, broader investment philosophy, and I kind of get into more specifics on the types of companies that I'm talking about. Although everybody uses the word quality, uh, again, we measure that through financial metrics, which I won't get <laughs> into. Um, but but we follow a, a process. We call it DNA. And it's, we define a universe and I'll use one of our funds, which is our healthcare fund, but the same is true of our tech, our brands, our utilities, um, and all with various uh, small variations. But we've got a universe of say 3000 healthcare stocks that we then uh, define it as healthcare stocks, narrow it down by putting in minimum you know, five to 10 billion market cap. So we want the mega caps listed in North America and has, mm-hmm. has options. And that gets us down to 85 companies of which we then pick 20. And so we do have financial metrics. We will tilt a little bit on on growth or value and, uh, and make some changes based on the fundamentals within those portfolios. The turnover does tend to be fairly low. We have had a couple of changes, I wanna say, across our, uh, our five core uh, largest funds. Uh, two out of 20 names change on a, on an annual basis. And it really is driven by that, that fundamental front end analysis. Something needs to structurally change, uh, within the company or from the, from the macro narrative for us to pivot. And we have done that, 
um, just in the past couple of quarters had a little bit more uh, uh, turnover. So uh, three companies out of 20 uh, generally out of uh, our core portfolios have changed so far this year. And so we will, we will generally have, uh, have a little bit of turnover, but again, these are the types of when anybody looks at our portfolios, it is exactly what one would expect uh, to see, whether it's 20 uh, mega cap tech companies or mega cap healthcare companies, et cetera. Um, that's exactly what they're going to get within those mandates. Well, that, that, that's awesome. I, I, um, I know this number changes, but I think I remember reading that your portfolio turnover just on average is around 15% or somewhere in that range, probably across the funds. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with turnover and, and I mean, I, I'll just take a moment here and say, Paul, the way I invest pretty much mirrors your over, uh, overriding philosophy. And that's one of the reasons I, 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 you know, I like the harvest funds as much as I do because I, I buy in, I believe um, in yeah. the overall strategy. And I've always believed that, yeah, if you're going to own an asset, buy an asset that you want to hold for a long time, but there are mm -hmm. things that change and you're yeah. never going to sit there 10 years later and look back and say the portfolio is exactly the way it was. I know you rebalance uh, on a regular basis, quarterly basis, looking at certain metrics. So, but I do like that. Uh, and when I say rebalance, I'm guessing you probably don't flip and, you know, in and out of companies, you maybe just redistribute the the uh, the weight in there. Um, I just want to sort of end here, I guess, Paul, with a question for you. And this is, you know, for the benefit of our viewers here, where we're at right now, we've talked about a lot of different um, economic indicators of where we're at. Um, are there any sectors that you're seeing at this stage of the economic cycle that we're in right now that you feel would either be you know, places that, and I realize, you know, you can't, you can't speak specifically to any individual investor, but just in general, that that fare better in these environments or these economic uh, situations or or places to avoid or is that is that too general of a question to ask? Yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks, Mark. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll endeavor to be brief. Uh, although I'm, CIO, I'm an analyst, which means I can go off on a tangent. So I'll be endeavor to be brief <laughs> and and talk about maybe two areas that I think are are relevant both with an asterisk on each of those areas. Sure. The first one is, is when we think about the current environment, there's limited visibility in the shorter term. And so when I think about an area that I want to be absolutely in the longer term, it's healthcare. It has permanent non-cyclical drivers. People are getting older, spending more technological innovation, not just on, on medical devices, but the, the wave of innovation on, on biologics and drugs is just phenomenal what's happening. And, and developing markets are a huge long-term trend. In the shorter term though, you have visibility at a time when you need relative visibility, you need these. These are superior goods, meaning during economic downturns, most people will buy their drugs over buying their iPhones. You also have good balance sheets. You've got good uh, uh, good growth and valuations. Uh, and so this is an area that I think has, you know, those longer term drivers, but in the shorter term, you've got valuations, as I mentioned, some visibility. Uh, and certainly as I, as I think about uh, kind of, you know, potential risks of high commodity prices and wanting to be in areas that aren't going to have as much margin impact. Healthcare fits all, it's tick, tick, tick. And so um, that would be one area. And so the other area uh, would be technology and specifically on large cap technology. Valuations have compressed significantly. And this would be a bit more shorter term. I'm not sure if we get the same type of leadership that we've had tech 
lead really or has led the past two cycles aggressively over and above everything else. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, uh, as I mentioned, some of those geopolitics and that technological arena being fought uh, um, uh, globally, you know, maybe as we look out one to two years might be something that, uh, you know, rears its head a little bit more significantly. But in the shorter term, I think for those that can look through this volatility and look through the valley of, you know, yes, we have some uncertainty. You've got great valuations in an area that, you know, unquestionably those drivers of um, everything in our day-to-day lives of technology, whether it's autonomous vehicles in the future, big data, the cloud, et cetera, um, that is all still very much intact. And when I look out three to five years, we're using a lot more tech. So having the big behemoths that really are, are in vastly different businesses than they were in the early 2000s, although some people still have that that fear that these are, you know, just overpriced, you know, ultimate high growth stocks. A lot of these are very mature businesses that are really monetizing some of those themes. So I think healthcare in the very short to medium to long term has ticks all the boxes. Um, the large cap technology, um, it does tick some of the boxes. There's relatively high vol- volatility in this area. Good if you're a seller of volatility. Um, so hence our product does uh, does seem to fit the uh, fit the bill for this current environment as well. You know, what you just said there takes me back to 2000, I guess, 2001. And I, I always remember Cisco Systems being you know, a huge player at the time. And I don't know the exact number, but I think during that crisis, the, the value, the, the share price dropped, I think, in the 80 to 85 percent range. And so many companies, if they're not well capitalized or well run, just, well, as we know, just disappeared during those times. And so, yeah, it, it is a sector that people with longer memories or maybe they've heard horror stories of that time might be afraid to get into. Um, my philosophy, and I own, I own you know, uh, companies in the tech space, but the big ones. I am not a mm-hmm. big believer in all the, the highest flying ones because they, you can take you up and you can come down with a pretty big thud. Uh, Paul, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I mean, I, I realize it's a, I guess it's a Friday today. You're probably <laughs> trying to wrap things up for the week. Not at uh, all. Late, late in Toronto time. Uh, and I just wanted to, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with me, speak with our viewers, because uh, the, the insight, the value that you can bring is, is so great. So just uh, kudos to you and, and the Harvest team uh, for arranging this. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, Mark, for having me. You bet. Okay. I looked, I'd like to do this again sometime. <laughs> and likewise. Okay. I'm not really sure what more I can say. I truly hope that you found value in listening to Paul in this video and in the first part of the interview. The insights that he gave are so valuable as an investor. So I, I do hope that you enjoyed both of those. I will put a link to Harvest ETFs in the video below. Do you think it is possible to know when a bear market has bottomed out? If you watch this video here, I'll give you some clues. Thank you for watching. See you in the next video.